Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and open together to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 as we come to the Word of God tonight. And uh, we continue, of course, this morning we, we arrived in chapter 8, and by God's grace we actually got through chapter 8 this morning. And uh, looking at the idea, or the, the subject matter of Christian liberty. And uh, from chapter 8 and verse 1 through chapter 11, verse number 1, truly the Lord is outlining for us what Christian liberty actually is. As I said this morning, too often in, our, in, in modern Christianity, or po- I call it popular Christianity, we, just like there's popular culture, there's popular Christianity, the Word of God is counterculture. It goes against these things. Um, but too often in popular Christianity, Christian liberty is misrepresented and mistaught. And because of this, we don't, it's misunderstood. Christian liberty does not give us the license to sin, as we discussed this morning. What Christian liberty is, is our freedom uh, from sin. Uh, we have liberty. We no longer have to obey sin. We no longer have to obey our flesh. God has liberated us and given us the ability to serve the Lord. What a great privilege it is to serve Christ. In chapter 8, we found that our liberty is derived from our relationship with Christ and manifests itself uh, with humility and love for Christ and the brethren. And as we look across the page to chapter number 9, we see another aspect of our Christian liberty. Of course, may I tell you, chapter 8 wasn't so much about eating meat or not eating meat. It was about loving one another, about loving the Lord, and trying to live a life that, that encourages others to live for Christ. I don't want to be a hindrance to anyone. I don't want to be the cause of someone backsliding into sin. I want to encourage folks in their growth in Christ. But we come to another aspect, and if you're able, I invite you to stand with me tonight. As we come to chapter number 9, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 12. The Bible says, as Paul speaks, he asks, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my, my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me in this, have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister or a wife as well as other apostles and, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or... I only and Barnabas have not we power uh, to forbear working. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses... Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God uh, take care for oxen? Or, or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in, in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, Is it a a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, 
Are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God this evening. Lord, we're thankful for its power. Lord, we're thankful that it touches every component of our lives. Every aspect of life, Lord, it directs us and guides us. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so God, tonight as we come to the word of God, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we see its authority. Uh, Lord, it's, it's thy word, it's not man's word. We're not following cunningly devised fables. But Lord, tonight we look to your word for help. And so, Lord, we pray for leadership. We pray for guidance. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I preach the word tonight. Uh, Lord, may you use me. But, Lord, as we all gather tonight, as we're all under the sound of your word, we pray that it would not return void. Lord, that you would accomplish a mighty, a mighty work in our lives tonight, that you would help us live Christ-like. And so, Lord, that uh, your work can advance and be not hindered. And Lord, perhaps there's someone here this evening who's lost. Lord, the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, we pray for their salvation tonight. Lord, but uh, in all things, we ask that you'd receive glory. And so, Lord, help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to the final expression of verse number 12. Paul makes a statement, and may I tell you, it's a convicting statement. There's a truth in that, that Paul expresses that, that should shape our lives, that should shape the trajectory of our decision-making, that should shape our actions, that should affect our will. The Bible says here, notice he says, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. What a powerful statement. Lest we should hinder the gospel of Jesus, of, of the gospel of Christ. My life, I pray, will never get in the way of the gospel. Is that your prayer? That the decision making, the actions you, that you take in your life will not hinder the work of God, but would rather complement the word of God and help it along. You see, as we look back, even in chapter number 8, we're taught to live in a manner as to not cause our brethren to stumble into sin. But we look across the page in chapter number 9, we, we see that we are being taught to live in such a manner as to not hinder the gospel of Christ. You see... God has given us a mighty responsibility. I mean, you even look over in chapter 9 and verse number 17, we see the heart of Paul, that God had entrusted something to his care. And he says this, for, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, notice, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. A dispensation of the gospel. That word dispensation means a stewardship. You and I are stewards of the gospel. What a, what a powerful reality this is. You, you realize that you and I, we're part of the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. 
And God has committed to our care His gospel. The Bible says, even in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, as Paul declares, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The, po- the gospel is powerful, isn't it? It possesses that dynamite power of God, that, that life-changing, that, that eternity-changing power. It makes alive. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. We're made new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Consider the power of the gospel. Remember your life and, and, and how you first heard the gospel. Do you remember where you were when you first heard the gospel? Do you remember what your life was like? Do you remember what God rescued you from? That, that same gospel that, that came to you, that, that saved your soul, is the same gospel that the Lord has committed to our care and into our trust. However, there's a danger. You see, God has given us the ability to make decisions for ourselves. Free will. He's given us liberty, Christian liberty. And with this danger comes the reality that the decisions I make can stand in diametrical opposition to the gospel. My life If I'm not careful, if I'm not living daily, walking with Christ, abiding in Christ, even this morning, remember in our Sunday school hour, the Lord calls us little children and young men and fathers. Remember that in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And we find that those young men, those who were growing in their spiritual maturity, they they obtained victory. Why? Because they learned the the truth of abiding in the Word of God. There is no victory apart from the Word of God. The Word of God works in tandem with the Spirit of God who's within us. It's imperative that we learn to abide in Christ, to abide in His Word. Therefore, we can obtain victory. We can walk in truth. We can live a life that glorifies and honors Christ. We can live a life that that, uh, stands in assistance to the gospel, not in hindrance thereto. Consider some of the the instructions that that Paul gave Titus. Turn with me, if you would, please. Holding your place in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be back there in just a moment. But won't you look to Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. We see here that, that Paul instructs this young preacher concerning his life concerning his his manner of life, that his life would not be in opposition to the gospel, but that his life would would aid the gospel. The Lord uses a term here saying that we should adorn the doctrine. We should dress it up. Our our lives should, should, should be appealing rather than discouraging concerning the gospel. The Bible says in, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 6, of Titus, he says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Notice in verse 7, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that they, uh, I'm sorry, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and pleasing them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity or faithfulness. 
that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and notice, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Christians, understand tonight that God does not want us to stand in hindrance to the Word of God. Your testimony matters. Everyone in this room has a testimony. When people look at you, they see something. What do they see? And what they see will bring will give them something to say. I don't want my life to be a hindrance. We're not saved by good works, oh no. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God wants us to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Paul says, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. I don't want to stand in the way of the gospel. In Philippians, Paul writes, notice back in Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1, he says in verse, uh, in verse number 20, uh, 27, he says, only let your conversation, or speaking of your life, every, every facet of your life, what you say, what you do, where you go, how you spend your time, the associations that you keep, the entertainment that you enjoy, everything that you do. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs because they have a testimony. People talk, don't they? Oh, people like to talk. But he says, that I may hear of your affairs, that, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the, great, uh, for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which uh, is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. But we look at this matter of our Christian liberty. You and I, we're free to make decisions for ourselves. We have a will. We have the ability to exercise choice. We can make decisions. We can take action. But may our lives, even as Paul discussed here, he says, may I not stand and hinder the gospel. As we look back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, or I'm sorry, chapter number 9 tonight, we find in this short, in this short passage, we find two, uh, two principles that we can live by. You say, only two tonight? Yeah, but there's like 20 sub-points to these, so don't get your hopes up. 
But there's two principles that we can that we can learn from tonight that will help us not stand in the way of the gospel. The first is simply this that we must live according to our calling. Live according to your calling. Look back in, in chapter number 9 and verse number 1. Paul, the Paul, he asks several questions. And these are, these are questions that Paul asks. And, and as he asks them, they're, they're given in such a manner that require us to answer. They're not, it's not just a general question. It's not rhetorical, but it demands an answer. He says, am I not an apostle? And we would say, well, yes, Paul, you're, you're an apostle. We're not going to argue your apostleship. He says, am I not free? Yes, he is free. Have I not seen, uh, seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Yes, he did on the road to Damascus. Are not ye my work in the Lord? You know, did he not go to Corinth? Did he not win these people to Christ? Yes, they, we are his work in the Lord. He says, if... If it be not, I'm sorry, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am uh, to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. He says, mine answer to them that, that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to, to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? In other words, he said, listen, he is an apostle. And with this calling, there, there come certain requirements. Do you realize that you and I, we, we might not be apostles, right? That, that ship has sailed. But you and I are called. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, once you look back there, just a few pages... 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, in the, at the very onset of this, of this letter, Paul addresses the calling of the Corinthians. And may I tell you that you and I share the same calling. Notice what he says in verse number, um, verse number 2 of, of 1 Corinthians 1. He says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, notice, called to be saints. They're called to be saints. In other words, they're called unto salvation. Wow, what a, what a tremendous calling that is. Still today, God is calling all men to be saved. For the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus says in Revelation, Whosoever will may come. We're called to be saints. What a, what a wonderful truth this is. But the, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It doesn't mean that, that God has only called a, a particular people. He calls all men. But remember, and we'll look at here in just a moment, we'll see that God gives us the ability to make decisions and, and, and exercise free will. We can choose to love the Lord. We're not robots. We're not mechanical. God gives us the ability, based upon the gospel presentation, to come unto Him. We're thankful for that. All men can be saved. 
But he also goes on to say, turn the page over to, to chapter 1 and verse 26. He makes a statement here. He says, for ye see your calling, brethren. Ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Church, you and I, we are called... We're, we're thankful for the calling of God upon our lives. I want you to write this down. Every, every Christian has two callings. Every one of us have two calls upon our life. The first is the call to salvation. And the second is the call to discipleship. Are you a disciple of Christ? That's a choice. Discipleship is more than a curriculum. Discipleship is more more than a series of Bible studies. There can be no discipleship without the transformation of a heart. Church, we, we need to recognize the call of God upon our lives because this call will shape the way we live. My prayer is that I would be a good disciple, a good follower of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he was, he was called to be an apostle. What a godly man he was. Because, and he, followed, he took that call seriously. Do you take your calling seriously? Everything that Paul did was for the sake of the gospel. I want you to hold your place and look back, and in, in, I think it's in, in Acts chapter number 20. In Acts chapter 20, yes, Acts chapter 20 in verse 24, considering the life of Paul, may I tell you, a life that is devoted to Christ is not an easy life. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But in spite of the hardship, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the opposition, what's your determination? And Paul says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I, may, I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord, uh, Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. He was, de- he was bound and determined to follow the Lord. He, he lived a life of, of consecration. See, there's a third call of God upon that can happen in the life of a, of a Christian. And not only the call of salvation, that's the, that's the primary call. That's the basis. And there's the call of discipleship. For all of us, we are all called the disciples. But there's another call. It's the call to ministry. A call to preach the word of God. A call to serve the Lord with with one's life. This is the call that that Paul had. But whether we serve the Lord in Christian ministry, or which is preachers, or missionaries, or or whatever, all Christians are called to serve the Lord. 
We have a saying, remember, every saint a servant, every member a minister. God has called all of us to serve the Lord. But as we look back in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, we see Paul's decision making. Paul's decision making stemmed from his call. We see it, look at what the Bible says in verse number 4. He says, have we not power to eat and to drink? What, is the, what does this word power mean? It, means the, it speaks of the ability to make decisions or, or to, to make choices. And, and really, this is one of the truest expressions of free will you'll ever find in the Word of God. And look at, look at what he says. He says in verse 4, have we not power to eat and drink? Well, yeah. How many of you can eat how many of you can drink? God has given you the ability to do so. But to have the ability to do something and then choose not to do it is the ultimate expression of free will. This has been termed by some as the highest liberty there is. It's, it's really not, not liberty. If you can't do something, you simply can't do it. There's no liberty with that. There's no ability. For instance... I've, a long time ago, I've come to the real, I came to the realization that I'm short and unable to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim. I've accepted that. I can't do it. No matter how hard I try, I just can't. But let's say, um, let's say I'm like Karis LeVert, Pickerington, Ohio native, right? Just live down the road here. Plays, I think he plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers now, doesn't he? He can dunk. But let's say he chooses not to. That's free will. He made the decision, I can, but I'm not going to. This is Paul's decision making. You know, for me, it's, it's simple. I can't, so I don't. To have the ability and choose to not, it's free will. In all of our lives, God has given us the power to eat and to drink. All of God's people have the, the ability to serve the Lord. The, the question is, will you or won't you? The choice is up to you. The Apostle Paul understood the call of God upon his life. Do you understand the call of God upon your life? You and I were not created for ourselves. But the Bible says, for his pleasure we are and were created. Uh, Saul, uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You and I, we are called to serve the Lord. And there's no higher calling. Will you or won't you? How you serve the Lord is between you and God. For instance, Paul, he, he writes here, look back in verse number, uh, chapter 9, he says in verse number 5, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? Peter, for instance, was married. We read that in Mark chapter 1. Uh, I've, I've seen his mother-in-law's house. I've been there. I couldn't go inside. They wouldn't let us. 
But I'll see that in a couple weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Peter was married. Peter traveled. Guess what Peter had to do? He had to make sure his wife was taken care of. As he traveled along his journeys, in all likelihood, he took his wife with him. We read of, of others here, and he says, And the brethren of the Lord. Who is the brethren of the Lord? Would it not be James and Jude? We believe that these men were married. They too had to take care of their families. He speaks of Cephas or Peter. But then he, he changes tune, and then he compares himself, or he, he, he now he mentions Barnabas and himself. In verse number 6, he says, Or, or I only in Barnabas... Have not we power to forbear working? Hey, don't I have the ability to decide whether or not to get married? He says, I believe that God has called me to ministry, and the best way I can serve the Lord God has given me uh, is, to, is to remain single. We believe that he was married, that his wife passed away through some unforeseen circumstance, but he, had, he chose to remain single, and he traveled without the care of providing for a family, of a wife and children. And he served the Lord. But the reality is this, church family. We must live according to our calling. We must decide, will I or will I not serve the Lord? How, am I, how will I do it? Will I live for God haphazardly? Will I live or will I live for God wholeheartedly? That's the decision we have to make. You have the power. You have the ability to serve the Lord. Whether or not you do so is between you and God. But we must live according to our calling. Notice the second, the second and final truth we see here tonight. That as we consider living in hindrance of the gospel, the second principle is this. It's that we must care for Christ's ministers. And Paul, he said, even in verse number 12, he says, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather... Uh, Nevertheless, we have not used his power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. The truth is, Paul never, never took anything from any local church. He decided that he was going to use the trade, the skill that, that God had given him, and that he was going to work as a tent maker. He was going to make his own way when he needed to. The Philippian church, however, they did send Paul a gift every now and then. It says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But the reality is, whether or not we, we are generous and support the minister of God, will either hinder the work of God or will help the work of God. I want you to look back at earlier in this chapter. We see in chapter 9 and verse number 7, he says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or, or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? You know, my in-laws, they have, they have cattle. I don't, I don't know how many they have. they have. They have a lot. But you know what they do with those cattle? They eat them. You're welcome. Right? You eat animals. Mm. You know, I was at, I took my boys a few weeks ago to Michigan to hunt deer. You know, you eat cows, I eat venison. It's the same thing. 
Um, if you only knew. Um, we stopped in Dundee, Michigan for two reasons. One, to go to Cabela's. Two, to go to the beef jerky outlet. How many of you have ever been to a beef jerky outlet? It's incredible. I highly recommend it. You go to a beef jerky outlet and they've got, they sell all these t-shirts, right? I, I, I've, I, I wouldn't wear it, but I think it's funny. The PETA shirts, you know, people for the ethical treatment of animals. Well, they've changed it to people eating tasty animals. I'm for that. I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat vegetarians, right? <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know where we got off on that. But they have, they have a farm. They have cattle. They eat of the milk of the flock. You go, you plant a garden. You plant corn. You plant... Uh, Barbara Howdy Shell planted sweet potatoes this year and had some massive sweet potatoes. And my wife took those and made a sweet potato pie. It was good. I highly recommend it. But you plant a garden. Why? So you can eat of the fruit thereof. And we, we look here, and, and, and Paul, he's in the work of God. And, and God condones those that, the support of the man of God from the work of God. And he goes on to say, look what it says in, uh, in, in verse number 8. He says, say I these things as a man. He says, is this just my opinion? Am I trying to get something out of you? Says, no, that's not the case. And in verse number 8 he says, or saith not the law the same also. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? In, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4, this is where we find that statement in the law of God. It says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Several years ago, my wife and I, we uh, took our two oldest boys to Washington, D.C. And on our way home from the meeting that we were in, we decided we were going to go to Mount Vernon, George Washington's Mount Vernon. How many of you have ever been to Mount Vernon? You've been able to go tour the house. You can go visit his, his grave. It's, pretty, it's an amazing place. But on the same property, you can go, and at the time we were there, I'm not sure if it's this way all the time, uh, but they had an, uh, an, an exhibit of how the farm operated during colonial days and, and early America. And in the, on the far end of this exhibit, there was this round building that you would walk up into, and, and below there was, there was like a, a cellar or a basement, but on the top there was there was this, this yoke that they would harness the animal to, whether it was an, an ox or, or a workhorse of some kind or, or a mule, and, and, that, and that, that beast would walk around in a circle. Just walk around in a circle. And they would take corn or they would take their weed and they would, and they would place it at the feet of the animal as it walked around that circle, and it would tread the corn, it would tread the wheat, and it would, as, that, as that animal walked, as that beast walked around, it would separate the corn from the chaff. And the chaff would remain, but the corn would drop through uh, the floor, 
and it would be harvested, be gathered uh, by laborers and taken to market for sale. But you know what they would not do? They would not muzzle the mouth of the ox when it treaded out the corn. Why? Wouldn't that be cruel? Would it not be cruel? Would it not hinder the creature who, whose strength you're using, whose power you're, you're benefiting from for your life, for your livelihood? You know what? If that, if that, if that ox gets a few mouthfuls of corn, it's going to be all right. Why? Because he's gonna, it's going to give him strength to keep on treading that corn. It's going to give him strength. It's going to enable him to keep working. And this is what Paul is writing. He says, listen here. He says, don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. He says, in verse number 7, Or saith he it all together for our sakes, uh, for, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. You know, when you go out, you, you plant, you hope for a harvest, right? It'd be foolish to not hope. You're just going out there in vain. Well, I'm just going to scatter a few seeds here, a few seeds here, and who knows? Maybe I'll get something. Maybe I won't. It's kind of foolish, isn't it? But you, you sow in hope. And he goes on to say, he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. He says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is, uh, is it a, a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Paul says, listen, I have, I have given you spiritual things. He's a preacher of the gospel. He's a laborer for the Lord. He's, he's preaching the gospel. He's, he's preaching the word of God. He's, he does, he's discipling. He's, he's strengthening the believer. He's helping them become more like Christ. He's, he's sowing them spiritual things. He says, is it a great thing that we should reap your carnal things? That you could just take care of us, take care of the earthly needs, the physical needs of our life. He says, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Church, do you know what Christian liberty should produce? Our Christian liberty should produce liberality. Liberality. What does liberality mean? It means generosity. We're very thankful. I, I, man, every time a preacher comes, I want to take good care of him. Don't you? I want to go over and above. Above and beyond. Why? Because they've given their life to the Lord. They're serving God. And concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't want to stand in the way of what God purposes to do. I'm thankful for what God has done in my life. I'm unworthy, terribly unworthy but I'm grateful. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.
I, want to be a, I, I just want to be a good steward. The gospel that has been given to us, I want to help along. I don't want to stand in anybody's way. I especially don't want to stand in God's way. It's convicting to think of the gospel. And that God has called us to be co-laborers together with him in the spreading of the gospel. But I have to make a decision of whether or not I'll help the gospel or hinder the gospel. You might say, well, I'll just do nothing at all. That's not a choice. Nothing is not a choice. If we choose to do nothing, we are standing in opposition of the gospel. But we must take it. We must decide. Even as as Joshua stated, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you serve the Lord? Will you make that decision tonight? Will you allow your life to help the gospel? Will you adorn it? Will you heed your calling? Will you aid those that God has called? May the Lord help us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.